Um, I was originally going to be uh, speaking more towards the end of July. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, I started kind of just thinking through, just being like, Lord, you know, what do you want to speak? Um, because I could get up here and say a bunch of stuff that, you know, is, I guess, biblically true. But God knows what you guys need to hear today. And I don't. And, um, you know, I felt like God just kind of, there was a, a phrase that kind of popped in my mind. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm almost, the Lord's just kind of giving this to me a little early. We're seven weeks out still from July 30th or whenever I was originally going to be preaching. Um, and then in the term events, here we are, July 2nd. Uh, so things got moved around a little bit, and I thought God was giving it to me really early. He was giving it to me on time, and I just didn't know it. But my wife is pregnant with twin boys. We're about to have, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Along with the claps, please give us some prayers. Because we have two boys right now. One's five, one's two. We got Axel and Gaines. Um, and now we're about to have two more. So we're about to have a house full of four boys. Uh, pray for my wife's sanity so that I can also have some sanity. Um, <laughs> so, so that will be happening soon. Uh, so maybe we'll have those before July 30th, and that's why I'm here right now. I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, the phrase, the first thing that just kind of popped into my mind was, wouldn't it be nice? And the thing that I started thinking about was, wouldn't it be nice if you actually enjoyed your life? Like on a real level, because I think a lot of us pretend that we enjoy our lives. We post on social media about the great vacation we had with our kids and how it was amazing, and it was all this rest we needed, but in reality, you just wanted to beat your kids senseless basically the whole vacation, right? I even saw this thing on uh, Instagram one time. It was like, you know, how'd vacation go with your kids? And this lady after an MMA fight just beat all to pieces. She's like, it was great. It was really fun and all this stuff. And I mean, just eyes are swollen shut, bloody, everything else. I feel like that's how most of us come back from events with our kids. Um, but, you know, we can laugh about that, but we go vacations with our family. We feel like half the time we don't even like them. Um, we don't really potentially even like our husband or our wife half the time. We wake up feeling stressed. We wake up feeling anxious. We wake up feeling uh, empty on some capacity or just discontent. And I just had this thought, like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if you actually just woke up and you had peace deep in your soul and you actually had a, a peaceful home? And there's, you know, circumstances. If circumstances are peaceful, you can kind of have this, um, a, a very fragile sense of peace, but a true and lasting joy and peace that comes from the Holy Spirit is pretty much regardless of external circumstances because even good external circumstances will never give you that satisfying internal peace. They just won't. And so that thought of wouldn't it be nice if we actually enjoyed our life, our family, our kids, work, friends, wouldn't it be nice if we actually enjoyed them? Because I think a lot of us pretend, but if we're honest, we don't really, right? We're mad all the time or anxious or upset or sad or whatever else. I've met very few people in life that I think are just genuinely really happy all the time and really filled with joy. And I think when you, when you come into church and maybe you don't know the Lord yet and you haven't put your faith in Christ and then you come in and, you know, the pastor or the 
person on stage or you hear it on a podcast or whatever else, that the thing you're missing in your life is God, right? Like we have this God-sized hole in our heart and the, the reason you feel discontent and unhappy and all these other things is because you don't have God. And then you actually have an encounter with God. Maybe it's been in this room during worship or when Pastor Jordan's been preaching before and you feel this thing come over you and all of a sudden, like maybe you start to cry and you have no idea why. Or you get emotional and you don't even understand what's really happening. You just know all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, I didn't really buy the God thing and now I know Jesus is real and I don't know what happened. And you have this moment and you're like, oh my gosh. And you actually put your faith in Christ and you get saved and, you know, for a short period of time, you experience almost this bliss of wow. But it seems like most of the time, if not all the time, pretty soon regular life comes raging back at you and you get feel like you got punched in the face. And you're like, I'm still not happy. And I'm still not genuinely satisfied. And all these things, you know, when you first get saved, um, maybe you just think that, you know, like, hey, I don't want to sin at all anymore. What's with all these other loser Christians that still have sin in their life? Just stop sinning, all right? I did it. I've only been saved a week. And then, you know, two weeks, three weeks, two weeks, two months in, uh, all that stuff you used to do before you got saved comes raging back, and you're like, well, that's a shock. Um, you know, the addictions, the lust, the greed, the pride, whatever else, all that stuff's kind of still there to a degree. And then you think, well, what's happened? Because I came into church, and they said that God's the answer, but I've, I've had this moment with God, and I've truly put my faith in him. Why, why on the other side of this do I still feel discontent, like kind of empty? And if you're being honest, maybe you feel worse off than before you got saved. And because you think, okay, I got this thing that people seem to promise me would bring me this peace and joy and satisfaction. But now a little bit into this journey, I feel almost just as bad, maybe not, maybe worse. And the reason I feel worse is because I thought I got the thing that should make me content. And I seemingly have it. And everybody else around me is pretending they have it too. But we're all just kind of discontent together, but just putting on a face like we're happy. And you almost feel worse off because you think, what's wrong with me? Am I the only person like this? Um, did the pastor lie to me? Is God not who he says he is? Why, why do I feel this way in my soul after I, I've put my faith in Christ and I thought I got the thing that would make me content? Right? You don't, I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but a lot of us have been there or are there in this moment right now in this room or somewhere across the world. And that resonates with you that you feel that way. And so I want to explain a little bit of what actually happens to you when you get saved. Because what I described may have been what's happened to you. You've been sitting in this room before, um, and all of a sudden you just believe in Jesus. Like, you know God is real, and you can't explain exactly what happened, but you know he's real, and you know you believe in him, and it's, it's true to you all of a sudden. God's made it real in the depths of your soul, and you've really gotten saved. You put your faith in Christ, and you believe that he died on a cross and that he was the perfect sacrifice for your sins and for mine. But what's really happened inside of you when you get saved is 
prior to Christ, you're alive physically. If you're not alive physically, somebody should come get you, okay? Um, but like everybody in this room, we're all alive physically. And when you're born physically, your sin nature or your flesh is also there with you. Uh, King David said in Psalms that surely I was brought forth in iniquity. Surely in sin did my mother conceive me. So from the time you're born, you're born into sin. So your flesh, physical flesh is alive, and then your flesh nature, your sin nature is alive. Uh, If you don't believe that, just go hang out with some two-year-olds. You can hang out with my two-year-old if you want. He just learned the word mine, and everything is all of a sudden his. It's just mine, mine, mine. And if brother tries to give him a hug too much, he's mad about it. He just doesn't like it. But just the selfishness, the self-centeredness, it's born into us, right? You can look at a little kid and know that. Like my oldest son, Gaines, he's five. If Mimi, if Terry Bruins my mom, if you didn't know it, I call her ma, uh, but my kids call her Mimi. If she shows any bit of what even could be perceived as favoritism to my younger son, my older son starts blocking him. He'll just throw up stuff in his way so he can't even get to Mimi, right? Because he wants Mimi all to himself and he's selfish and that little nature grows up and it's in all of us. It's from the time that we're little kids. And so when you're born naturally, your physical body's here and then that flesh sin nature is very much alive in you from the time you're born. And then if you go to Ephesians 2, we'll start in verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk when you conformed to the ways of this world and of the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us also lived among them at one time, fulfilling the cravings of our flesh and indulging its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature children of wrath. And so what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 2 is that prior to Christ, your sin nature is alive, but spiritually you're dead. That word there that says dead, it means dead. So you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. Your flesh is alive, like your sin nature, your physical life, your heart's beating, you're alive there. Spiritually, you're dead, though, prior to putting your faith in Christ. But in verse 4, it says, Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And so when we put our faith in Christ, our spirit is made alive. You were spiritually dead. Now there's like the flesh, Scott, over here that's been alive for 30 years now. And then there's the spirit, Scott, that is born upon my faith in Christ. And there's a spiritual Scott. And he's a, he's a newborn right when I get saved. So that's, first of all, that's the first thing that's happened is you're, you were dead spiritually. You had no spirit that was alive It's made alive in Christ. That's the first thing. And then the second thing in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul is talking to Corinthian church. He says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so not only has your spirit been made alive, but now me and you, once our faith is in Christ, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And somehow God's spirit lives inside of me. And if you put your faith in Christ, he lives inside of you. And if you're sitting there and you think, well, I don't really understand how that works. Me neither. All right. I just figure together we can all ask the Lord when we get to heaven. How exactly did your entire spirit live inside of us? All right. It does. It's true. But I don't exactly get exactly how it all works either. But when you get saved, your flesh is here. 
but your spirit's been made alive and you're now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's what happens to you upon salvation. Scripture even says, I believe it's in Romans, that God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we're now sons and daughters of God. So God's spirit testifies with the spirit that he's made alive in us that we're truly his son or his daughter. And you even see in John 3, when Nicodemus, uh, who was a Pharisee, came to see Jesus by night, because I think he was embarrassed, um, Jesus says to him in, in verse 5, John 3, verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of the spirit. So your parents, when they had you, their flesh gave birth to your flesh and you're physically alive. But it's God's spirit that gives life and births our spirit, the spiritualist that's alive. So you have these two, right? So when you have your faith in Christ, your flesh with your sin nature, still in you, all right? Anybody who would say it's not, just hang in there. you believe it soon enough. And then your spiritual you that's also alive. It's been made alive in Christ. So that's what happens to you upon salvation. And like Pastor John was talking about last week, if you were here, he said there's a war going on inside of you. And that war is evidence that you truly are saved, that you truly are a son or a daughter of God. I'll explain in just one second why your flesh and your spirit both being alive in you is genuinely a war. And you'll see that in Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that opposed, uh, I got the Greek word here for it, but I'm not even going to try to say it because I'm sure it would not be right. But what it means is that that word opposed is like they're thoroughly opposite, irreconcilable, will never agree. So you have your sin nature flesh alive in you, and you have the Spirit your spirit and God's Holy Spirit alive in you, they will never get along, ever. They're always, the spirit's always going this way. Flesh is always going this way. They're always, always gonna be diametrically opposed and will never agree. And so when you first get saved, it's amazing because all of a sudden your spirit's been made alive. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You get to experience God's presence for the first time in your life. You're like, oh my gosh. But then after a minute, reality sets in and the flesh is still here. And all these old desires, your old ways of life, the way you were raised, all of that stuff is still very alive in you. It's just now you're safe. Your spirit's been made alive, but your spirit's still newborn. And so because they're so opposed to one another, that's that war you experience within you even after salvation. That's what's happening inside of you. And I want to read the acts of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit just so we can kind of understand, uh, I think, and identify what's in us and kind of understand that a little bit more. So this is Galatians 5 still. We're starting in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, and rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Um, and so Paul just lays out everything from like, hopefully your kids are in kids' church. If they're not, you should definitely take them. Um, everything from like, you just, you kind of envy people to having orgies. He's like, from the little to the big and everything in between, that's all the acts of the flesh is that stuff. And he even adds at the end, um, and the like. So I'm sure there's more. He just figured that was a pretty sufficient list for now. That is the acts of the flesh. And maybe you're not out having orgies, but I can guarantee you've been envious, jealous, hated people, sown discord among people. You know, you've gone and talked about somebody bad so that somebody else would think better of you, right? Half the time, bonus, this isn't even in my notes, half the time we put people down or all the time, it's because it makes us feel better about us, all right? If we can point out somebody else's flaws, I feel a little better about me, okay? Um, so that's just bonus information. If you're wondering why you do that, most likely that's why. Helps you feel better about you. It says verse 22, this is Galatians 5 verse 22. This is the opposite end. This is the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so that, in a nutshell, is flesh and the Spirit. The fruit of God's Spirit at work in your life and your spirit maturing will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we're honest, we probably don't see a whole lot of that. I think we see some level sometimes of like a, a fake kindness, but I think it's a rare thing to really see people that truly love because loving somebody just that's like nice to you isn't really that. But loving somebody that hates you, that gossips about you, and looking at them and thinking, I really want to see them in heaven with me. That's loving somebody. People that malign you and hate you and saying, I still wish that they would accept Christ so that they'll be in heaven with me. That's loving people. That's really loving people. And to see that's a very rare thing. To see somebody that truly has joy, like behind the scenes. I mean, we're all at church and we act happy. And I don't know that it's a good thing just to walk around acting depressed either, but we kind of put on a face and we act happy. But how many people do you know that when they wake up in the morning and it's just you and them, they're actually joyful? Like they're actually, they actually, you can tell they live a life of joy. That's pretty rare. People that actually have peace, that are actually patient, Man, you go drive around for a little while. Ain't none of us really patient. Shoot, we're like, cut me off in traffic. Hope you die. <laughs> right? Like my great grandmother, I don't even I don't even remember her name, as sad as that is, I guess. But she, when I remember my mom was going with her to the mall one day and an ambulance had to go by, so they had to stop. She was mad at the ambulance because it got in the way of her going to the mall to get whatever she was getting. She's mean as a snake, got dementia, whatever, and she became nice when she was really old. But but like, that's most of us, right? I mean, somebody cuts you off in traffic, well, how dare they? And then you cut them off in traffic, you're like, well, I'm in a hurry. Why are they getting so mad at me? <laughs> you know? And like, we laugh about it, but man, it's so true. It's so true. And so to see somebody that's truly, I think, living a life that is full of love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff is pretty rare. But to see people that live a life that are of the acts of the flesh, even as believers, is pretty common. So common, in fact, because I'm a part of our, our media team, we get to see all the comments that come through on our Facebook, both good and bad. 
And we'll post sermon clips and all this stuff. And you know, there's a lot of people that say, amen, this really helped me, thank you so much. And there's a ton of kind comments, genuinely, like this helped me, amen. You have the one crazy person that gives this dissertation on a comment that makes zero sense at all. Um, there's always one or two of those for some reason. And then there's somebody that just roasts us. Like, just from the get-go, like, false this and that and going down the other. And then our people will get on there and read through the comments, like you guys, and then you'll reach out to us. You'll be like, who is this so-and-so that just said this about my pastor? <laughs> and then, then somebody else will message him, oh, did you, did you see the comment they left? We need to go. And then somebody else will chime in. This, this actually all happened. Somebody else chime in, that, was, that used to be my next door neighbor. We got to find out where he lives. We'll go blankety blank, 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 their house. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is us. This is you guys. So mad at the one person that wrote a negative comment on Facebook about one of us, you're ready to genuinely go burn their house down. And I mean, it happened a month ago. <laughs> and that's us. Like, that's who me and you are in our flesh nature. That's us. To that stuff that's funny all the way down to the deep, dark, wicked things of our soul, the outright sins, the sexual immorality, orgies, all this other stuff, just to the way we've, our whole life has been built around the need to be right. Or our whole life is built around control. Our whole life is built around self-preservation and all these other things that are all a part of that flesh. And it's going back to even the beginning of that thought of like, how do you actually enjoy your life? How do you have a good life? It's, it's in the flesh dying that you can actually experience this. And, you know, Pastor John shared last week about going all in and that all in uh, for Christ really isn't necessarily a battle cry as much as it's a death sentence. And it sounds painful and it sounds hard to hear, but what it's a death sentence to is the flesh that's already killing you. And you just don't realize it. The rage, the rivalries, the discord, the jealousy, all this stuff is actually the stuff that's killing you and making you miserable, but you don't realize it in the same way that most of us don't realize that eating sugar and candy canes and gummy bears and all this stuff feels good, but it's giving you heart disease and diabetes. Like it feels good in the moment, there's a big rush, your insulin spikes and all this stuff, but there's a crash afterwards. And although there are times when the flesh feels good and sin feels good, it's like a big high and a big low and it's reaping destruction in your life. And oftentimes we don't realize it. Like Pastor Jordan two weeks ago talking about God rebukes you to restore you. He's rebuking that stuff in you that's already killing you and you just don't know it. The scripture says the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. The only one that can know it is God, not me and you. And so we don't even know really what makes us tick. We don't really know what makes us operate. I mean, some of it you can see like blatant sins and stuff like that, but a lot of the motives of our heart that we're even unaware of. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're walking around hunky-dory and then you go meet with the Lord one day and then he shows you 
The whole motive of your heart for X amount of years has been something that's totally off base and you didn't even know it until he showed you. But I'm telling you the reason that a lot of us are still so miserable as saved people is because our flesh is still so alive and it's making you miserable and it's crushing you. But on the other end, the odd part is it's kind of all you've ever lived on. You know, like the need to be right, the need for control, sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, the addiction to drugs or alcohol or whatever else. Yeah, it's killing you, but it's also been the way you've kind of coped and built your whole life. And you don't, you don't even really know what to do. And so how you really enjoy life, how you have a good life, is your flesh dies. I mean, you know, the past few weeks, past two weeks specifically, have, have been heavier messages. And if you, ha- if you haven't been with us, you can go on YouTube and watch them and join in with, on the heaviness with us. Um, but Pastor Jordan two weeks ago talked about how God will rebuke us. And that ultimately, it's to restore us. But even in that rebuking, um, that it, it can genuinely wound us. And that, you know, the wounds of a friend are faithful. But that, that can be hard to hear. And then Pastor John last week saying all in, you know, yeah, we think maybe it's a battle cry, but really it's a death sentence. Also hard to hear. True, but hard to hear. And what I've felt so much this week is like there's people maybe in this room or people at home that have heard those messages and it just makes you want to give up. And you thought, maybe this isn't what I signed up for. What is dying to myself? What does crucifying my flesh really mean? I don't really understand it. It sounds hard and uncomfortable and painful. Um, and it, I don't really know what to do. And it doesn't sound like a path I really want to take. So I, I kind of want to run away. And maybe you even feel like, like that's harsh of God to say that. Because what Pastor Jordan, Pastor John, what they're saying is true. It's out of scripture. It's, there's no part of it that's false. Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And it's true. But I think Oftentimes, the American church as a whole has probably magnified one of these things over the other. And and what I mean by that is they've only talked about the freedom and the joy and the life you get in Christ, and they neglect to tell you that there's sometimes there's a struggle getting there and that the old you has to die. And they just leave that part out. And so when God starts to walk you through this, You're confused, you're discouraged. You think God doesn't love you. You think God's mad at you. You think he's punishing you. You think he's left you. 
And there's people that only talk about this and they don't ever mention this. So you get discouraged and confused when you start walking through the things that God already told you in scripture that you'd walk through. And then there's the opposite side of the spectrum, which is all people do is talk about the struggle and then they never talk about the freedom and the life and the peace and the peaceful fruits of righteousness that walking some th- through some of that pain actually brings. And so then you, the, the struggle's magnified so much that you don't even think it's worth it. You're like, people just talk about how bad it is for, you know, when God rebukes you or when it crushes your flesh. And I don't mean Pastor Jordan. I don't mean Pastor John. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as a whole, the American church has done that to a degree where they magnify one over the other. And so you're so discouraged, you don't even want to continue on the journey or you don't even know that the journey is going to be hard. So you're confused when there's difficulty. And what I felt like God wants you to know is that he's with you in that struggle of, of truly learning to die to yourself, that he's with you, that although God commands it, he's also like, you got to do it. And then he's like, but let me help you. Let me help you. Come to me and let me help you. Because he knows it's hard. And, and Romans 8 even says that if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, meaning he's not on the other side shouting at you to go do it by yourself. He's saying, I know you can't do it. And truthfully, you don't even know what dying to self means, right? Like maybe some of the external sins, you're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you you have an addiction problem. Yes, God will call you to lay those things down. But there's deep things in our heart that we're unaware of. We don't really understand the totality of how to die to self or anything else. And neither does Pastor Jordan, neither do I what that means for you. There's one person and it's Jesus because he made you. He knows everything about you. (laughs) He's saying, yeah, it's gotta be this way because your flesh will always go that way. The spirit always goes that way. He's not being unduly harsh. He's not like that manipulative boyfriend that's like, you gotta give up everything or else you can't have me. That's not, that's not God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I see the flesh in you that will always take you away from me. And I'm saying, to really be with me, that's gotta be crushed. And he knows it'll hurt. But he's with you in the struggle and he is truly the author and perfecter of our faith. You just, just got to go to him and just say, I'm, I'm willing to be made willing because I don't even know what death to self really means. I don't know what it means for me. I know when I first got saved and I started walking through this, you can, my whole family can testify. I was miserable for a while. It was a great episode of depression. Um, but I, I didn't, I had this misconstrued view of God that, when I heard the death self, I was like, well, God just feels like a cosmic killjoy that anything and everything in my life I've ever enjoyed, I'm gonna have to give all that up, probably be dirt poor, go to Africa, be a missionary and die of some horrible disease or something. Um, Part of that maybe is due to some of the biographies I read as a kid, but um, I, I had this view that like, 
you know, like giving everything up just means giving up, enjoying life almost. But hopefully, hopefully I get God and at the end of it, you know, I get to go to heaven. But for this earth, it'll be terrible. And I had this misconstrued view that like God was like, you got to do that. And he's commanding me and he's over on this side, just waiting to see if I'll do it. And like, I felt like God didn't care if I made it, truthfully. I knew I needed God, but I didn't know that God wanted me. And so when he says, you got to give up yourself to really get me, it's not some test. It's not to, it's not like you're in the military and they want you to fail. And if you make it, then congratulations. It's like God saying, no, this is the way it has to be because your flesh will always go the opposite of the way of the spirit. And man, how much I want you here. And just be willing to be made willing. It's by the spirit. So it's God's commanding it and then he's empowering you to do it. Go to him and just say, I'm willing to be made willing. I, I felt like giving up maybe. I don't know if this thing is for me. I promise you, I promise you, that pain of dying to self, both in the big things of life and the questions of what do I do with my life and all this stuff, all the way down to the, the pain of just denying yourself what you'd like to do so that you can truly serve your wife and your kids or whatever else, the big and the little, that whatever pain you experience on this side, oh man, how it pales in comparison to what you get to experience on this side pales in comparison. Because there really is a freedom and a joy in Christ that is so much better than the extreme highs and lows and some counterfeit joy you can experience in your flesh because at the end of that's misery. I'm telling you, if you live the rest of your life here, you'll lay on your deathbed with regret. And life will be painful either way. It'll be painful either way. Right? We live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. You're gonna have pain regardless. And you can choose that familiar pain of staying the same the rest of your life because it's painful to live in that dysfunction too. Or you can choose a pain of change that actually leads to you enjoying life. And Jesus is, on, Jesus is not only cheering you on, but he's there helping you. And there's, when I was little, um, I was on the back porch at Meemaw's house, uh, which was my grandma at the time. And uh, I was out there barefooted, shouldn't have been, but I was. Uh, and somehow I stepped up on a little ledge and a splinter went through my foot. It was about that long. And it went th like all the way through my heel. And I'm sure I panicked and started screaming and stuff. Should have taken me to the hospital. Nobody did. They laid me on the picnic table out there. And then they started trying to yank the thing out. And then they were trying to yank it out and it broke off to where all, all that was left was the big part of the splinter inside the foot. And I was kicking and screaming and, and I felt like, I was like, you know, I was like, just leave it in. Just leave it in. I was like, I'll walk around like this the rest of my life. I was like, I don't care. The, the pain of thinking about it coming out, I was like, uh-uh, I can't do it. And, and, you know, mom, she's like, we have to, we have to. And so 
They finally got it out, and my mom picks me up and hugs me, and I'm sure we're all crying. And I was like, Mom, why, why'd you seem harsh? And she was like, I had to make sure you'd stay still so I could get it out. And me and you were walking around with splinters in our souls so deep that have been there for forever that we don't even realize they're there. And Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Those things have to come out of you. That flesh has to die. And as much as he commands it, he's the one that sustains you to do it. So go to him and do not give up. Yes, it's a process. It's not like you'll be like, hey, my flesh has got to die tomorrow morning. We're settling it. It's all going to be dead. And then we're going to have joy after that. It genuinely is a process, but don't give up because God is there with you. He's there with you. Go to him and just say, I'm, I'm willing to be made willing. That's it. I'm willing to be made willing. Help me because I don't even know what the next step is. Genuinely, I don't. But don't give up and walk away. Truly don't. Because as much as Jesus says this is the way it is and the way it has to be because it's true, man, he's with you and he wants you to make it. He's with you and he wants you to make it. If I could go back and tell myself one thing when I first got saved, I'd say, Jesus wants you to make it and he's with you. On the days you don't feel like it and you go to him and, and you try to pray, try to read your Bible, man, it just feels dry, even in those times. He's with you. And so if you're in the spot that I've been in the past, know that he's with you every time you go to him. And, you know, sometimes we, we go to God in quiet time and we're expecting the skies to part and to have this crazy earth shattering experience. And you may go into quiet time and shut the door like Pastor Jordan said. And you start reading and praying and just you feel like nothing happens. You're like, man, I almost feel worse after that because I feel like, you know, I wanted to go to God and hopefully he'd comfort me. And then I went and I didn't feel like I had him. And then I just feel worse off than I did before. If that happens tomorrow or the next day or the next day and you go to him and it feels dry and you feel like, does he even hear me? Go back again the next day. And if the same thing happens and it feels dry again, go back again the next day. And don't give up. Jesus says, if you search me, search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. That's a promise and he means it. Don't give up. And he's there to, man, it's like if people, you know, are 100 pounds overweight and they go to the gym for three or four weeks and then they're like, well, I don't have a six pack yet. And that was a little bit painful. The gym doesn't work. You'd be like, no, that's really foolish. You didn't give it near enough time. And it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord that takes time and you got to go after it. But that he's there with you. And that he genuinely, he wants you to make it. And I promise you, this is worth it. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the genuinely, probably the most, if not one of the most happy, truly joyful satisfied, peaceful people I've ever met in my life is my mom because she's walked with the Lord 30 years and there's been a lot of this crushing and man, there's a whole lot of life there. And if you really know her, you know it. 
It's because God's walked her through so many things with her that have helped to crush the things in her that were killing her that she didn't even know were there. And then you have the peaceful fruits of righteousness and man, that's a life worth living. It's a life worth living. He's with you, go to him. Just ask him, be willing to make willing. And don't give up. Let's pray.